Guys, good Wednesday afternoon. I'm Jerry Miller. Welcome to the I Love Seville show. Thank you kindly for joining us. Our studio is in downtown Charlottesville. We are, um, I don't know, what would you say, 50 yards from the Charlottesville Police Department, half a block, nah, a full block from the courthouses uh, in Court Square. Um, we are literally right next to the downtown mall. I mean, this is the epicenter of Charlottesville, where the activity, the movers and shakers, the thought leaders, the innovators have positioned their businesses. And it's great to be here. Uh, we hear um, and learn quite a bit of, of the business ecosystem, the politics, the transactions, the, the, the stuff you want to know about. I try to just relay it to you in a straightforward fashion. I'm passionate about real estate. It's one of the ways I make my money, um, either managing a holding, uh, real estate holdings that is 24 tenants deep currently, or helping folks in the commercial and residential side with their brands or fill their spaces, their, their empty spaces. I'm passionate about it. I love it. It's not just a hobby. It's a profession, and you live and breathe it. And real estate is changing since the pandemic at a very rapid clip. COVID and the pandemic has just driven significant momentum behind a lot of industries in positive ways and in negative ways. And we'll talk about how real estate is changing um, in this Charlottesville area. We're going to spotlight a, a United States jury yesterday finding... Um, you know, the CNBC headline, I'll read the CNBC headline directly to you. This is CNBC. This is in every media outlet out there. The U.S. jury finds realtors liable for inflating commissions, awards $1.78 billion in damages. I want to unpack that, and I thought one of the ways I could unpack it is have Judah ask questions potentially of me um, so we can put it in the most approachable fashion possible, J-Dubs. We also are going to play a highlight clip from Real Talk this morning um, with, with, with Keith Smith. Keith Smith talked about this. This is dramatically going to change the industry. I'm going to cut through this um, and just give you a no-nonsense, no BS, no sugar-coated view of what's happening. That's one of the reasons you watch this program, guys. No, it's Howard Cosell. You know what they said about Howard Cosell? You loved him, you hated him, but you always watched him. Is he the guy that talked like this? Yeah. Can, can, why don't we go on a two-shot? Oh, Judah Wickhauer, when you do personalities, Hold it's on. a great dynamic for the program. Hold over on, there. just a second. Sorry, that wasn't Judah Wickhauer. That was, that was Howard Cosell. <laughs> go ahead, Howard. I'm getting, uh, I'm getting the videos in. Uh, we, 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 we have Judah Wickhauer, the director, offering personalities. What you know, you, you either you loved them, you hated them, but you always watched them. It's kind of the, the talk show here. You know, we cut through the BS. And we give you information about a community you care about on your phones, in your hands, where we're literally spending hours of our day on. I'll talk about what's happening in real estate. We'll talk about Bowerbird Bake Shop closing. We will talk about... Uh, what to watch on election day. We're six days removed from what is an election that I think have, 
has many in the community personally and emotionally invested in, specifically this at-large school board race that is going to go down as... John Blair, you're watching the program. How much money was raised in the Robert Tracy, Jim Hingley, 2019, Al Commonwealth's attorney race? If you can put that number in the LinkedIn comment section, John, I would be so very, very grateful. I'd like to know how much money... Hingley, Mr. Hingley and Mr. Tracy raised in totality in 2019 for their push for Albemarle Commonwealth's uh, attorney. And I'm going to compare and contrast that number with Meg Bryce and Allison Spillman and what they've raised collectively. We broke the news yesterday that Sonia Smith has contributed $70,000 directly to Allison Spillman's campaign an additional 15000 contributed from Sonia Smith through a, to a political action committee, a PAC, and that PAC funded Spillman's campaign. So you can make a direct line, you can tie a direct line to Sonia Smith and Allison Spillman to the tune of $85,000. Um, I want to talk Virginia football. They're a two-point favorite against Georgia Tech. The last time UVA football has been a favorite was William & Mary. The odds makers are seeing the turnaround that Tony Elliott's team is experiencing in real time. That's a 2 p.m. kickoff at Scott Stadium. We have a new show launching tomorrow at 2.15 p.m., a show hosted by a serial entrepreneur who makes his living in real estate, he makes his living in consulting, and he has a lot to offer this community. I'm excited for this show that's going to launch at 2.15 p.m. tomorrow, um, and I think you very much are going to enjoy it. Very much are going to enjoy it. Judah, we'll weave you in on a two-shot, and I, I, trust me, I didn't forget. Was that a Howard Cosell impersonation from you, Judah? The only reason I know that, in fact, the only reason I know what he sounds like is, uh, does anybody know the movie? Which movie? You don't remember it? What's the movie? Uh, Better Off Dead. Mm. I don't know Better Off Dead. Let me do a quick IMDB search. Better Off Dead. You are missing out. Huh. I don't think I've seen it. Last, uh, some of the last few times my family has gotten together, we we watched some old, um, some old fun, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Some old fun movies, including Better Off Dead and uh, and One Crazy Summer. And uh, they are classics. Classics of comedy, and in the uh, in Better Off Dead, there are a couple of a couple of Asian uh, Asian guys who always show up next to the uh, next to the main character when he's in his car. And as soon as they pull up, one of them starts announcing, and they always get into a race. Well, can you give us the Howard Cosell impersonation? Welcome, folks. We are here today to witness a uh, a historic spectacle. <laughs> <laughs> Keep How's going. That? Stay in character. I, I'm, you don't I, even have to say what he says. You can offer the impersonation with any commentary you have to offer. That's true, folks. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Will you do the entire show in the Howard Cosell voice? Uh, I don't think I could. I don't think I could put up with myself doing that. No. Well, oh, I, I, I like when your personality is, is shines on the show, Judah. I sincerely mean that. Thank you. Um, I think you have blossomed on this program considerably. I sincerely mean that as well. And I, I want to really highlight that you are such a key component of the program. 
I, I sincerely mean that as well. Um, why don't we start by turning the tables on the show? And oftentimes, I'm leading the pace and tempo of the discussion. Why don't you take the first topic of what's happening with real estate, and you be the number one, I'll be the number two, I'll try to answer some questions here. I think a lot of people watching this program, um, you're going to hear about this, guys. I'll give you the first three or four paragraphs from this story that's on CNBC and is now penetrating every media cycle. So this is going to be every day. This is going to be in the everyday news cycle for a while. And, and folks that own homes or looking to buy homes will know about this at a pretty aggressive clip. A United States jury on Tuesday found the National Association of Realtors and some residential brokerages liable to pay $1,780,000,000 in damages for conspiring to artificially inflate commissions for home sales, CNBC reports. The verdict by a federal jury in Kansas City, Missouri could upend decades-old practices that have allowed real estate agents to boost commissions as home prices and mortgage rates rise, hurting consumers by making housing transactions more expensive, CNBC reports. Plaintiffs in the class action included sellers of more than 260,000 homes in Missouri, Kansas, and Illinois between 2015 and 2022 who objected to the commissions they were obligated to pay buyers' brokers. The verdict followed a two-week trial, and the damages award can be tripled under U.S. antitrust law to more than $5.3 billion. This is all CNBC. Um, I encourage you to do the research on your own. I'm going to change how we do the show because, you know, this is my world. It's not necessarily your world. So I want maybe you to ask some questions as if the viewers and listeners would ask, and then I'll mm -hmm. try to offer some insight. We'll also play a sizzle reel from Keith Smith from earlier today. So these were, so these were sellers that were, cons that were conspiring? Um, it or, was, was it, or was it just a, a mix, and they were all kind of like working together to fleece the, the buyers? I, I, fleece is not the right. I don't think fleece is the word I would utilize, but I... I all right, I, can't, I shouldn't correct you because this is what I'm asking you uh, to do. You're right. 260,000 home sellers. Home sellers. Okay. Pulled together, class action lawsuit, and said they felt the 3%, I'll use 3%, commissions are negotiable. The egg. The commissions, I don't see, I don't, I don't have a license here, so I, I don't have to use words like eggs. I can say commissions. The commissions allocated to buyers, agents, they felt um, were misrepresented. The so sellers. It was, so it was just buyers, agents? Basically what's happening is a lot of folks that put their home on the market um, did not realize that they could negotiate the commission structure. And, and, and the commission structure rule of thumb will use is 6% of the transaction gets chopped up over a buyer's agent and a seller's agent and it's paid at closing from the proceeds the, the money that goes to the deal and a lot of folks that sold their house 260,000 of them 
in Missouri, Kansas, and Illinois between the years 2015 and 2022. So you got a boatload of sellers, 260,000 homes, and a 70-year period of time basically saying they felt... Hoodwinked? Okay. That's your word. That's mine. I mean... With this commission allocation structure. Considering considering the uh, <clears throat> considering the class action lawsuit and the they're losing, right? I mean the uh, the sellers are losing. The people that uh, are being accused are going to have to pay. You said it was what one point eight, and because of antitrust, it was up to five point three. Trying to digest what you're saying here. Um, so I'm basically saying that uh, the reason I said fleeced and or hoodwinked is because apparently they're apparently they're being held guilty, right? Is the is are they not getting are they not getting charged or where this 1.8 billion and it could get considerably higher as yeah. we learned um, as we read in the article. Where this 1.8 billion to 5.3 billion in, in damages, how that's going to be covered, is to be determined. The National Association of Realtors, for example, could ask its members, the realtors that are a part of this association, to um, say, "Hey, your dues are going to increase every year, and why your dues are going to increase every year is because we have this huge bag of money that we got to pay, that we got to, this whole, this, this, this." pile of money that we got to allocate because of this lawsuit. My and what's point, my point was I, that, the, that the lawsuit hasn't been thrown out. Oh, the, the, the lawsuit Tuesday, the U S jury found the national association of realtors liable. Right. Which is why I'm saying that, uh, now some, NARS probably going to appeal this. Somebody was doing some fleecing. Okay. I, I'm, what I'm going to try to do is set the stage here. And I don't think you, you no, you're getting I, what's going on. I here. think I, I think I, I think I, get where I've made the mistake. So, so you're basically saying they weren't necessarily trying to do anything wrong, but they, didn't, they also didn't notify the, uh, the people that they were supposed to be helping that they could uh, negotiate the, uh, the price. Right. Here's the thing. Depending on the level of sophistication, a lot of people didn't realize that when they sold their home, they have the opportunity to set the commission structure. Right. A large portion of people doing this, we're talking the layman's. Yeah, people like me. Someone like Judah is not going to read an entire contract or understand that that 6% is negotiable. Yeah. There's others that do this trans... I've done 15 transactions representing myself personally. I'm aware that the number is negotiable. I did a FISBO for sale by owner at our home in Redfields. I said I am going to allocate this percentage to a buyer's agent. I bought my house in Glenmore without representation, utilized that as an opportunity to get a good purchase price because I leveraged the 3% normally for buyer's representation 
as an incentive to sweeten the deal. Right. My point is this. A lot of folks didn't realize that commission structure was a conversation that could be had mm-hmm. and could be potentially lower. Right. Now, the buyer's representative can say, okay, you want to lower what you're going to pay me? I'm going to choose not to do this work. So since the, uh, since the 6% is split up between the buyer's agent and the seller's agent, is that a three-way deal? Is that a conversation that, uh, or a four-way deal, the, the buyer, the seller, and the two agents? Not necessarily. Um, because the seller of a house is not speaking to the buyer of the house. Right. The seller of the house is hiring a representative. Yeah, and the representative speaks to the representative of the seller. And the representative is saying, here's our standard contract. If you want us to list your house, sign this, and what we will do is market your property with photography, maybe with staging, with glowing copy words to describe mm-hmm. your house, and we'll put it out on the MLS and the various platforms for folks to see. So it's mainly on the, this is mainly on the seller's agents, and then when the deal goes through, they, do they just evenly split with, the, uh, with the, sell, the buyer's agent? No, that's not necessarily how it goes either. The contract, if a seller says, I'm going to give, I'm talking about the owners of the home, say, I'm going to give a percentage to you and a percentage to the buyer. That's up for negotiation. What often happens is it's 6%, which is then chopped in half, three and three. And then that 3% of the closing price, that 3% will go to a buyer, that 3% will go to to the seller's representation, the buyer's representation. So 6% total from the overall price. So what this lawsuit What's coming out of this lawsuit is, is pretty much this. Keith used the word decoupling. I think what's going to happen is if you want to sell your house and you choose to hire somebody to do it, mm-hmm. I think you're going to say, I'm going to give you this percentage to do it. More people are going to be in the know and sophisticated with what's going on in real estate now because this is all over the national use. I'm seeing it all over on CNBC right now. This is on the Associated Press. This will make it all the way down to local news level. I think what's going to happen is this. What, you're saying you don't watch the local news? Is that what you were going to say there? I'm saying I think you may be taking for granted how much people are not going to know about this. See, I disagree. And the reason I disagree with you is because this is the most important transaction of someone's life. And I also think that um, the buyers and sellers of today are entirely more sophisticated than the buyers and sellers of yesteryear because of information found on the internet. I think buyers and sellers today spend way more time on Zillow, the realtor app, um, than ever before. And because that information is so approachable and readily available, people know what's going on. I also feel like buyers and sellers today, especially buyers, they're sour. And why they're sour is because the interest rates have risen so quickly and the values are so expensive. So they're doing whatever they can to get 
deals done or, or, or to buy a house. And whatever they can includes becoming extremely educated and well-read. I think what's going to end up happening is if you got a house to sell, this is what's going to happen. Someone is going to hire a, a, a seller's agent to list their home. Mm-hmm. I think that individual is going to do this. That family, that husband and wife, that husband and husband, that wife and wife, single person, whatever you want to call it, is going to say, I'll give you this percentage to sell my house. That number is up for negotiation. Yeah. A lot of folks realize the higher dollar amounts, it's not always 3%, because the higher dollar amounts are such a large number. I'm talking million plus, two million plus. If you're getting one and a half, two percent of that, that's still a boatload of money. Yeah. Okay. So the seller, the the folks that are selling a house are going to say, "All right, I trust you to sell my house. I'm going to give you this percentage." Those same folks may say, "But I'm not going to allocate a percentage to buyer representation." Okay. That very well could happen. And then if a buyer's agent wants to make money in this rapidly changing world, Mm -hmm. that buyer's agent is going to have to talk to their clients and say, I need to be compensated. And a lot of homes now are not offering buyer's commissions. So if you want me to represent you, even with the homes that are not offering buyer's commissions, we need to have this kind of pay structure. And that pay structure may be a retainer, where the, the, the buyers, the, not the agents, but the people represented by the buyer's agent say, okay, we'll pay you X amount of dollars up front to do X amount of hours of work. Hmm. And if we haven't found a home in X amount of hours, then an additional retainer is due. That's how we run our business. That's how lawyers run their business. Accountants and CPAs run their business. So that could end up running a lot more money for the buyer. That is something we should highlight. Write that note down. A lot of the National Association of Realtors tried to made that argument in court. The National Association of Realtors said home prices have soared and interest rates have soared. If you make buyers have to compensate their representatives to help them in this process, it's just going to make buying a home more expensive, especially for first-time home buyers that are cash-strapped and having to bring every single dollar they have to the table, in some cases, to buy homes. So that's a really good point you've made there. Although, normally, they would be paying that anyway. because, But, I mean, they would be paying the cost of whatever they agree on to buy the house, and that money part of that money goes is the percentage that goes to the buyer and the seller the buyer's agent and the seller's agent previously the buyers the buyers the men and women men and men women and women I'm trying to be politically correct here that are buying a house were not taking money out of their pocket for representation not directly but doesn't that money still come out of the well, you're basically saying, does it still come out of their pocket because they're paying 6% extra for these commissions? That's yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, I'm basically saying... If I mean, the, that's the a, six, you can make that. Okay. The percentage is baked into the price of the house. Katie Pearl so, made that comment earlier today. So, the, yeah, the, so my thinking was that the, um, the, the buyer is, that was a, is paying sorry. that percentage, and that percentage gets... So it may, uh, it may be baked into the cost, and they, they don't see it, but it's still... They're still paying it. In fact, 
it could be argued that they're paying both sides. Katie, Katie made that comment earlier today on Real Talk that some of these uh, sales you can make in argument were inflated by 6% because of these commissions. Like if a home is, is um, a million, just take an easy number, a million dollars. You sell it for a million six. million sixty. Six percent, sixty thousand. Right. Sixty thousand above what the agreed upon prices. Yeah. Or I guess in that scenario it would be nine hundred and forty thousand to get it to a million. The actual value of the home is uh is nine forty because sixty of it is commission. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So to your point, you're basically saying aren't the buyers already paying for that anyway indirectly? You could make an argument in that case they are. But in this scenario, if the commission structures are decoupled, mm-hmm. if they are no longer, if they are completely separated from yep. each other, then the buyers are going to have to pay up front, potentially, to have representation. And right. the upfront payment is difficult because these buyers need as much cash as possible in bank accounts or on hand to qualify for loans and to buy houses. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. This disproportionately Normally, would impact first-time home buyers yeah. or those that are on the financial margin. Because normally, even if the cost is baked in, the, the money ends up coming, out, coming off of the back end rather than... In a loan scenario. Rather than... In a loan scenario that you're financing over 30 years right. and 360 months. Yeah. So see, is, on the back so end, that, that payment is much more manageable, right? Because you're getting mm-hmm. a loan from a bank mm-hmm. to help finance that six percent. Yeah. So in this case, it would be upfront, and you'd have to have enough money to pay the. You know, it would be like, like you said, like our business, the uh, the buyer's agent would be would be basically just getting paid for their time, rather than getting paid for a finished deal, and. In that case, the person has to pony up that money up front, and I doubt banks are going to start uh, giving out loans to pay uh, buyer's agents. It's another good question. Why this is a topic of importance or interest, the following reasons. What is the most crowded category of doing business in Charlottesville or Central Virginia? Realtors. That's number two. Oh, okay. Uh, Restaurateurs. Restaurants. That is the most saturated category of business in Charlottesville, Almaro County, and in Central Virginia. We have restaurants by the dozen. I have argued on this program many times that the second most crowded category of business in Central Virginia Mm -hmm. is realtors. The barrier of entry to get a license is, even realtors would say this, it's not that difficult. There's, depending on who you ask, somewhere between 1,100, 1,200 realtors in the car association, the local realtor association. That is a saturated market. Mm -hmm. What I think is going to happen, and I've said this before, the headwinds facing the industry the fact that interest rates in a two-year period of time have basically, what? Tripled. Tripled. Yeah. 
I mean, you're getting pretty close to 4Xing here. Yeah. Let's say 2.5, I'd say almost close to 4X, quadrupled. Yeah. That's a headwind. Mm-hmm. The second headwind you have is so many homeowners secured an interest rate below 4% when money was basically free. Yeah. Roughly 80% of American homeowners, 4% or under, mm-hmm. including us. Yeah. We now do not have incentive to list our house. Right. Because while we can capitalize on a boatload of equity in our home, you'd end up having to make a move down. Lateral, down, and if you choose to make an upward move, you're going to be paying a huge monthly payment. So yeah. people are just sitting tight. Mm-hmm. That's throttling inventory. Yeah. Because the inventory is getting throttled, the values are going up because the demand is still there. Mm-hmm. You also have a population increase, and the population increase is one of wealth. The population that's increasing in this area is one of wealth. It's yeah. not one of middle class. It's one of wealth right. that's coming here. We know why. UVA, data science school, biotech school, Louisa County investment, $11 billion, just to name a few. Articles saying that this is the happiest place in America. Bingo. Best place to retire. Best place for outdoors. Best place for restaurants. Best place for music. All this national press, plus the four years that we get at UVA where we had the time of our life and we wax nostalgic and want to relive that four-year period and consider moving down here. Bloomberg said it was the 15th place in the nation for remote or hybrid work, Charlottesville, with roughly a quarter of the workforce working remotely or hybridly. Mm. So all these catalysts, this is a byproduct, this is one of the, part of this is a byproduct of COVID. This decoupling lawsuit has been in the works for years. But these other headwinds, the quick uptick in interest rates, the ridiculous uptick in values, the hybrid work from home, the population influx. The lack of new housing. The lack of new housing. A lot of these directly tied to the pandemic. Yeah. I see this industry changing incredibly rapidly, as do... Experts and insiders. Mm. This industry, I'm going to, will go ahead and make a prediction, is going to no longer be ranked number two for the second most saturated space of doing business behind restaurants. Yeah. You're going to see a number of folks that were hobbyist agents or did limited transactions getting the hell out. Yeah. Because there's no low hanging fruit anymore for picking up. Fast cash. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. That's going to happen. You're going to see buyers' representatives have to really explain to their clients the value of what they offer and give tangible proof, proof of performance yeah. of what they can help and do and provide for a buyer especially in an era where knowledge is everywhere on phones. Yeah, Zillow and Redfin, and you don't necessarily need someone to go out and find houses on the market. You just open up an app. Right. It's not like it's a book anymore with the MLS that's closely guarded. Yeah. It's like the same thing that happened in the newspaper industry. In the newspaper industry, 
Newspapers made a mistake of giving their news for free online. And now they're trying to backpedal and say, oh, we want to charge for the news now. Mm-hmm. Well, you trained your customers to absorb and read your news for free online. So a lot of them aren't going to pay that monthly fee for that content. And that's yeah. caused the erosion of the newspaper business. That's one of the direct causes of this. Mm-hmm. So I think you're going to see this industry in 12, 24, 36 months look completely different. This industry was already trending older from an average age of realtors. That older trend is going to, and these headwinds are going to lead to the retirement of a lot. The ones that do survive and stay in the game really are going to have to prove their worth especially to buyers. Yeah. And the ones that have the skill set to prove their worth to buyers have an opportunity to do a boatload of business because they're going to have less competition. Right. But that business they do may not necessarily be in the form of 3% commissions. That business they do can be in the form of perhaps retainers tied to hours worked. Yeah. And the retainers tied to hours worked could be, all right, five. K, 10K, however you choose to set your price point, will yield 40 hours, 80 hours, however you choose to set your allocated work hours. Mm-hmm. And buyers then decide, okay, as if they were doing shopping, it's become commoditized. This person is offering me a $5,000 or $10,000 retainer in this many hours. This person is offering me 2500 for this many hours. This person is saying, I will negotiate with the sellers of how to get paid if I do the work for you. Hmm. This person is offering me not a retainer up front, but a bill tied to the hours they work, and they'll directly track their time and bill me once every week. Sounds like a nightmare for buyers. Sounds like a nightmare for a lot of people. And why it's a nightmare is because it's change. And change is hard. But change yields opportunity for those that are able to innovate and pivot and figure out how they need to change to win. And not everyone has that skill. That may hold true for the realtors, but for the buyers, it's a nightmare because it's not so much about pivoting. It's about, uh, I think... Uh, well, for instance, looking at uh, well, looking at anything, but like computers or cars, uh, you're, you're looking at a you know, is it a with cars? Is it uh, you know, what size is the engine? What's you know, what kind of does it have? Rear wheel drive or front wheel drive or all wheel drive? What's best? Like you might not need all wheel drive if you live in Florida, but uh, I'm just saying with the, uh, with the explosion of, of options, I feel like this is going to make it extremely tough for the, uh, the regular people who you think are going to, uh, are going to up their knowledge uh, and, and figure out the new system. I think there's still going to be a lot of people that don't know much about this. And even if they do, they're going to take a look at the options. They're going to take a look at, uh, you know, say they call three realtors. One of them says, I'll get the money from the, from the seller. One of them says, 
I, you know, I want to get paid, you know, a flat fee for, for this is how many hours I'm going to, I'm going to work. And the other guy maybe says, I'll uh, bill you hourly. Yeah. And here's someone going, I just want to buy a house. I don't want to figure out which of three realtors is, is, you know, the least, uh, the least expensive, the least of a hit on my, on my pocket. It might not be least expensive. It could be the one that provides the most value. But how does... Uh, There's also a fourth option. But how does someone like me... I, I'm not saying there aren't more options. Well, a fourth option how, could be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to do it myself. Yeah, but most people are... That's probably a bad idea for most regular people. And I'm just saying that most regular people are going to have a really hard time judging pre-going into this, going into starting to look at houses, which one of these people is the best value for my dollar. I, I wouldn't know. I think you're, you, what you just said there was 100% correct. 100% correct. It's going to be tough. I mean, I, I and mean, you know what it's going to do? It's going to create winners and losers. And you're talking about, in this case, the, uh, the realtors. And not just the realtors. It's going to create... Well, yeah. It's going to create... Sometimes, sometimes somebody is going to pick a realtor who's the worst pick because they're not charging as much. Am I wrong? I mean, you know. Or it's going to create a scenario where someone can do the uh, buying themselves and not have to pay a fee, which would then widen the wealth gap because they took less money out of pocket. Yeah. Or it's going to take a scenario where first-time home buyers who are already at their ceiling when it comes to buying a house say, I give up. Now i got to do this. I can't afford it. Yeah. Which widens the wealth gap. Because home ownership creates generational wealth and fixes overhead. No doubt. you got a boatload of real estate firms watching the program right now. I want to get to um, some comments me. here. I, I, I like reading Deep Throat's comments first. Carly Wagner, we'll get to your comments. Sarah Hill Buchensky, we will get to your comments um, as well. Deep Throat says, by the way, that movie you referenced was John Cusack's best work. Yeah, it really was. Terrific movie. A lot of fun. And my, uh, I had so much fun watching it with my family again. Brought back old memories. Okay. So he says that's John Cusack's best work. Yeah. What's the name of the movie for the viewers and listeners? Better Off Dead. And it's... Kind, we don't have to go too deep on it. It's that. kind of a semi-sequel, but okay. I don't think it's really the same character. But uh, uh, One Crazy Summer is another hilarious movie. Better Off Dead. Okay. He says, this Missouri case, this class action lawsuit is the top part of the iceberg. It just deals with mandatory commission splitting as a precondition for access to the MLS. The big cases are still coming. The, I, I, I'm not going to pronounce this right. The moral M-O-E-H-R-L case, and worst of all, the DOJ's investigation after the Biden administration rescinded the Trump admit approval for settlement. Selling, uh, the seller paying a percentage of sale price makes sense. Incentives are aligned. But if I'm paying a buyer's broker as a buyer, wouldn't paying a percentage of price be backwards incentive? I agree it needs to be different model per hour or some agreed amount for a transaction not mm. tied to price. I, I truly think that's that how it sense. should be. What industry, yeah. what industry does your representation get a percentage of the final price? 
lawyers? If maybe, maybe in that case, but in that scenario, the lawyer that's um, uh, negoti- representing a client, they want to drive the price as high as possible because the client gets the large percentage of what they're driving. In this scenario, right. if they drive the price as high as possible, the folks then they're representing have get, to pay more. Get less money. Or- but their representation gets more. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Put so, that in perspective for the viewers and listeners in your words. Uh, so basically, what you were talking about with the lawyers, if you, if you drive the price higher on if you a, get hit by an amb- If you get hit by a car on the side of the road. Yeah, and you sue somebody. And you're suing somebody. Your lawyer, the more money they get you, the more money they get. In the case but the more money they get you as the client. Yeah. So their incentives are aligned. Their motives are aligned. Now, put the other scenario in perspective in your words. Uh, and I, think, uh, I think the seller's agent and the seller, they, they're, uh, they're aligned. Their motivations align because, they, because the seller wants to sell for more money and the seller's agent wants to get more money from the percentage of the larger sale, whereas the buyer wants the price to be as low as possible. But if the, buyer's, if the buyer agent drives the price lower, they're screwing themselves out of an event, the eventual percentage. They get less money. Because if it's, you know, if they, if they help, if they help the, uh, the seller and the seller's agent sell the house for $1.5 million, they get 3% of $1.5 million. Whereas if they work for their clients, uh, towards their clients' purposes, they, you know, would want to get, a, say, closer to a million, but then they end up making less money. So you've got a, you know, you seemingly working at cross purposes. Judah Whitcower, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm glowing here with pride. I'm glowing <laughs> with pride. Deep Throat says this, then I'm going to get to some other comments. In the United Kingdom, you usually pay buyer's agents directly as a buyer. Hmm. In the United Kingdom, a retainer and then true up to 0.5% of purchase price when purchase happens. Sometimes there is fee, fee splitting, but not always. Given the thin sales commissions, you can see why. But the point is, it is workable to do it separately and in the context of a much lower fee. Good stuff from him. Yeah. Now we got some agents watching the program. Vanessa Parkell highlights what we talked about. Many buyers do not have the cash to pay up front. Yeah. Carly Wagner is watching the show. I like when Carly comments on the program. She says, I hope the National Association of Realtors decides to either make it retroactive or damage paid specifically by the agents with clients in the lawsuit. New agents and agents and ethically explain all documents to clients should not be penalized. It's a good point. Time will tell. It is a good point. She also says a conversation that should be had. You should have these conversations with your buyer's representatives up front. She says... The MLS participation rules, they require the listing agent to advertise to buyer's agents what portion of the total commission they are giving to the buyer's agent. Hmm. Sarah Hill-Buchensky says, the listing agreement, which is between the seller and the listing agent, sets the commission rate and states how the commission will be shared with the buyer's agent if there is commission to be shared. The MLS is an offer of compensation to buyer's agents. She also says, unless mortgages are restructured to allow financing of real estate commission, this could cause a lot more out-of-pocket expensive for represented buyers, 100%. She says, there could be lots of unintended consequences, 110%. 
If anyone can adapt, it's real estate agents. We are small business owners. Those that can explain their value proposition will survive. 110%. 110%. I think you're going to see this call the herd. Call the herd. You're going to see a lot of folks leave the industry. I want to hear the sizzle reel from Keith Smith from Real Talk today. Do you have that? First Ready to go? The, first one or the second one? Let's play the, uh, let's play the first one. Right. You have that sound ready to go? Yep. Let's play that in three, two, one, and kill the mics. Later today, J-Dubs. Um, so Keith Smith, you've been in the business for, what, 30-plus um, years? He uses my full name, I get a little 30-plus years, Keith Smith. <laughs> um, the, the commission structure and the business we call real estate and how realtors get paid on the residential side, buyers, agents, and, and, and sellers, uh, selling agents, um, could be in the cusp of changing. Set the stage for us if you could, Keith. Yeah, so this, is, this has been in the work for many years, right? We've been, I've been tracking it for uh, many years, and there's, um, there's actually two large um, class action suits, one just... I wouldn't want to use the word settle because it didn't settle. One went through the legal process yesterday, and uh, the plaintiff won and the defendants lost. So the plaintiffs are a bunch of folks that are doing a class action suit. The defendants were were National Association of Realtors and a bunch of other uh, uh, large real estate, national real estate uh, firms. So basically, um, and you can Google this, and you can look on, see, it's all over CNN now, is that, you know, uh, the defendants, which is NAR in this case, and, and other folks have, have lost. Look, they're going to, this, this process is going to go on for years. It is going to end up in, in um, I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't work its way up to the Supreme Court, but it's definitely going through the, the appeal process. So in essence, what the lawsuit has been, the class action lawsuit said, was that the cup, there should be a decoupling, and that's the word I prefer to use, a decoupling of how the buyer broker is paid its eggs and the listing broker is paid its eggs, right? So I, I think what you're going to ultimately see is this march towards the decoupling of it. And what does that mean? So what it ultimately means, and we've had previous shows that we, we talked about this, is that the buyer's agent, let's say I'm the buyer's agent, I am now going to have to, which I should have been doing anyway, is to enter into a buyer-broker agreement with you that describes how I get paid, you know, how many eggs I get, I get paid. Um, so ultimately, I think that's where we're going down of this decoupling of it. It is kind of, uh, I've been calling it a 40-year-O shift. It is a 40-year-O shift. Um, I happen, maybe I'll get myself into a little bit of trouble here. I happen to think it's good for the uh, industry. It offers transparency. Everybody knows what they're getting paid and how they're getting paid on it. So I hope that rambling did a decent job of, of explaining it. That's the first sizzle reel from Real Talk. I think... Keith's done a really good job of getting in front of this. I also think the folks that are going to come out ahead in this scenario are the ones that get in front of this. 
getting in front of this with your clients and the marketplace is going to help folks win. Putting your head in the sand or staying quiet on this is not going to help you win or get ahead. The time of, what's the emojis on the phone with the monkeys? There's one with their hand over the mouth, one with their hands over their ears, and one where their hands over their eyes. Hear no evil, see no evil. evil, Hear no evil, speak no evil. That's not going to (laughs) work. Keith gets that. The second sizzle reel. How long is that one? Uh, I'm not sure. Then we'll get off this topic after this one. We got some news that we got to report to you. The closing of Bowerbird Bake Shop. What to watch on election day, which is six days away. UVA, a two-point favorite against Georgia Tech. And a new show launches on our network tomorrow at 2.15 p.m. Three minutes, 40 seconds. Listen to this one. This one's really good, too. Cue it up and let's rock and roll. Three, two, one. Real. With the... With a commission lawsuit in the news cycle and the decoupling of potential decoupling. potential decoupling of buyers and sellers, agents, commissions, a direct question for you. Will buyers, agents, commissions go away? And the second part of the question is, how will buyers, buying agents, buyer, realtors that represent home buyers be compensated moving forward? So um, break it in half. So uh, we'll call it eggs, right? Because okay. I, I want to make sure I stay out of trouble. So eggs have always been negotiable. Full point, stop, always been negotiable. Um, the second part of that is, and I've been saying this for a couple of shows, the buyer's agent, and, and let's face it, I, love, I, pref- I prefer to be a, buyer's agent. I just love being a buyer's agent. Doesn't mean I'm not a good listing agent, right? But I just prefer to do a buyer's agent because the number one skill is negotiating. I love to negotiate and I love to help people get their goals and, and reach their goals and, and achieve it. But I will now have to, which I do anyway, is describe how I do it. Buyer's agents are going to have to do that. This is my job. This is how much I get paid. And you're going to have to I don't want to use the word negotiated, but that is going to have to be very transparent up in the front. It's always been there. It's just never really been done across the board. So what can NARD do right now? Right, let's just dive into it. What is its potential options? What I think, what I hope it does, I don't think it will, but what I hope it does is that, because the other thing, Jerry, that you probably didn't see in the news, the minute, the minute that thing got, they got awarded, the plaintiff got awarded, you know what else happened? There was a bunch of class action suits immediately filed after that. Oh, yeah. They were ready to go. They were in the queue. They were in ready the to queue. Go. So you are going to see these. This is going to be. You're going to see, and I've been talking about this. I've been told to shut up about it, and I'm tired of being told to shut up about it. You're going to see multiple class action suits start coming down the pike. What can NARD do to do that? If it really wanted to stop it, it's going to fight it. But if it really wanted to stop it, it, it could do a na- nationwide class action settlement. Just do it. Just, co- just negotiate a class action, uh, nationwide class action suit that will stop any future um, law- class action lawsuits. And whatever it looks like, they've got to negotiate that. 
and then they've got whatever that number is, that number is, over a period of time, let's say four years it is, us as agents, guess who gets to pay for that? Because that then will just get increased in our dues to go and pay it. But it puts it away, right? It puts, because as this goes on, Jerry, this conversation about this is just going to get worse and not worse, but get more vocal and more out there in, right. in, in, the, in, the, in, in the, the media, in the media, in the news cycle, in the vocabulary, in the lexicon, in the, lexi- in the lexicon to go ahead and do this. How, if NAR was to do that, it would stop it and it would, in, it, in, in my opinion, I'm not a lawyer, but it would stop it in its tracks uh, and then we can get on with fixing whatever issues we need to fix so the business is more transparent than that as it, as it should be. We got uh, that's Keith Smith on Real Talk this morning. We got a boatload of folks in the real estate business watching the program right now, which which I expected. I'm going to dot the I's and cross the T's and go on to the next subject. I think what's going to happen here is you're going to see a lot of folks leave this industry. It was already trending older. Folks are just going to retire a little bit older, a little bit earlier. Excuse me. Yeah. I think you're going to see. even more vulnerability with the industry. The increased rates, the limited inventory, the lack of people building homes, builders building, bringing new product to the market, this lock-in effect with roughly 80% of Americans with a 4% interest rate or under, yeah. the values spiking to levels of unaffordability for a lot of people. And now this, these are called headwinds. Some folks are better at navigating headwinds than others. Change is hard. Change for some breeds fear. Change for others breeds lack of action. The ones that get ahead in this scenario are the ones that accept the change and put a course of action into play that will help create a plan of success. Doing nothing or saying nothing or burying your head in the sand is not a plan. People are going to know this is out there, and they're going to ask. Mm-hmm. So be prepared to prove your worth. I'd like to see the industry, or at least from my standpoint, what I would do would be hourly fee or a set retainer. If someone comes to me and says, Commission's not being offered for this house. How am I going to get compensated? I would say hourly fee on one individual house that if I was looking at or if I was doing it for the first time or casting a net and unsure of what I wanted, I would consider the retainer because you could get potentially more value. If my wife and I utilize the Internet and these home apps to narrow our search to one or two or three homes, and say, we want you to help us with these one, two, or three homes, and only those one, two, or three homes, I'd go the hourly rate. Yeah. If my wife and I said, bring something to us that we think we would like, we'd consi- I'd go with the retainer. Right. I think this space of business is going to shrink for those involved. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be the second most saturated in the market behind restaurants for much longer. Right. I think the National Association of Realtors is going to ask its members 
to pony up potentially more dues. And people are going to get pissed off by that. No doubt. I think you're going to see brands and organizations and brokerages leave the National Association of Realtors. Time will tell. Warrior AG, thank you for retweeting the show. Mr. DL, thank you for watching the program. Let's get off this topic and let's go to the next one. Bower, Bowerbird Bake Shop is closing on Temp Street. The owner of Bowerbird Bake Shop wrote a heartfelt uh, message on Instagram about why he is closing. His name is Earl. And Bowerbird Bake Shop has been a favorite for many. Temp Street, right next to Mud House, behind the former Peloton station. Mm-hmm. He said, I want to spend more time with, front, with my family, with my kids, two young children at home. I would imagine running a bakery when you have two young children at home is not an easy task. No, definitely not. I applaud Earl for what he has done. He signed his lease in January of 2020, literally before COVID started. He persevered through the pandemic. He should be applauded. No doubt. While this is a bittersweet story, literally, figuratively, pun intended, the positive is a small business that went from farmer's market to storefront that persevered through a pandemic and brought deliciousness to customers, thousands of them, in the Charlottesville area. Mm-hmm. The cookies were out of this world. The bitter aspect of this is the closing of yet another locally owned business. And it's a theme that we've seen quite often over the last year and change. It's a byproduct of the pandemic, the closing of some of these businesses. It's a byproduct of labor shortages, the closing of some of these businesses. It's a byproduct of escalating cost of goods, of shrinking margins, of you have to work more for less money. All of those are a factor here. Deep Throat made the comment, the folks in this community, the yes in my backyard contingent that is chomping at the bit for a neighborhood coffee shop, he points to this as saying, neighborhood coffee shops aren't going to be able to survive in this community because there's not enough customers to keep them afloat. Yeah. I'm not going to jump to that um, reasoning yet because I'm going to take Earl at his word that he closed because he wants to spend more time with his kids. I'm curious if he tried to sell the business because it was a good brand. Yeah, I'm curious about that too. It seems like if he had made some type of system for continuing what he was doing, it could have been a profitable sale and the business could continue. But we don't know. We're in the business of business brokerage, this firm right here. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of deals we're working on right now. So I'm curious if you try to sell the business. I have no insight in that at all. Seemed to me that would be one we could have sold. I understand Deep Throat's point, however, that having neighborhood coffee shops or neighborhood bars or neighborhood bakeries pop up with the loosening of zoning ordinances and zoning codes, his point is there's not going to be enough demand to keep them afloat in the local neighborhoods. Right. And it's a good one. It would have to be something that would be that was subsidized by the by the neighborhood. 
if they wanted something like that? I don't think subsidized is the right word, supported by the neighborhood. It would have to have frequent support from a neighborhood. And what neighborhoods can support a neighborhood coffee shop? Yeah. You got what? Maybe Belmont? I mean, what neighborhoods in the city of Charlottesville, just neighborhood foot traffic could support a coffee shop and keep it in operation for the owners to pay their staff enough money and themselves a wage that is going to allow them or encourage them to work from five in the morning until whenever they close? I don't know if there's any neighborhood that in and of itself could support a shop like that. That's, there's my point. And Deep Bel- Throat makes Belmont, the point. Belmont would only, uh, a business would only survive in Belmont, not because of the Belmont residents, but because of people coming from outside of Belmont. Well, I mean, yes and no. La Tassa was a neighborhood coffee shop. Melissa yeah, Easter, she it, had a lot of success. To your point, a lot of folks that patronized La Tassa were not just Belmontonians. Yeah. They were Charlottesvillians. If someone put a coffee shop and bakery on Lexington Avenue in North Downtown, does North Downtown have the foot traffic or the demand to keep that coffee shop afloat? Probably not. Right. If there's a neighborhood coffee shop that is positioned on, I mean, what's another one? In, inside Johnson Village, does it have the demand inside Johnson Village to keep that coffee shop afloat? Probably not. Right. That's the point he's making. I want to highlight this, that Temp Street and, and the, uh, the shops at Temp Street, they have some vacancies now. Peloton Station has not been filled. I'm a huge fan of Peloton Station. I was a huge fan of Peloton Station. It's no secret. It was owned by someone that I love like a brother. He's getting married next coming weekend, and I'm excited to see him marry the woman of his dreams. And I can't wait for them to have a long life of happiness. I don't know if Bambinos are are part of the plan or not, but these two are made for each other. Congratulations. Yeah. The place was dope. It was awesome. Sports and TVs Mm -hmm. and good food and great beer and live music and a fantastic place to sit outside. It was great. Mm Mm-hmm. This shopping area has now got its prime spot vacant and now one of its retail spots vacant. Yeah. Mudhouse is there. It's fragile out there. You got Thames Street, which has got foot traffic and car traffic and students and locals, and it's in the center of the city. And it's got vacancies. You got, walk up and down the mall. You got, you do that. Vacancies everywhere on the mall. I've been here 23 years since 2000. I haven't seen this many vacancies. Yeah. In my 23 years of being here, 23 and plus years I've been here. Go down West Main Street. You got vacancies. Mm-hmm. You got vacancies inside Dairy Market. We were there this past weekend, my wife and I and our boys. Mm-hmm. Vacancies in Dairy Market. I mean, you got to give some props to Dino. Dino has the Expanded. Pa- Dino owns the pasta stall. He owns the pizza stall. That's yep. two. He owns the fried chicken stall. That's three. 
the rotisserie chicken, excuse me, that's three. Yeah. And he owns the Muthru stall. Hmm. That's four. Yeah. Four of the stalls at Dino's or at, at Dairy Market are tied to Dino. Yeah, let's just give them the keys to the whole place. I mean, <laughs> right? Wilson and his 10-course hospitality no longer affiliated with South and Central or the Milkman's Bar. Yeah. I'm curious to see how the Milkman's Bar and South and Central drew do without Wilson's 10-course hospitality outfit running them. I'm curious of the future of the retail place in Dairy Market. I walk through that every time I'm in there. I don't see a lot of people shopping there. Yeah. It's expensive. Have you been there? No. Star Hill does well at Dairy Market. My point is, it's vulnerable. Mm. I talked to my barber the last time I got a haircut. I go to a fantastic barbershop behind Coors Brothers on Route 29 called Christian's Salon. I bet he wasn't happy when you started bringing someone in here. Uh, he saw it, and he said, what's up with that? When we had someone come in and cut Judith and I's hair on air. And I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> I talked to one of the guys over there. Two or three, I, there's three guys there that I it's let not, cut my hair. It's not you, baby, it's me. Let, <laughs> it's not you, it's me, that's hilarious. <laughs> I've used that line before. Um, I'm not surprised. That, it did not go over well. It's not you, it's me. I asked one of the guys in there, and I said... How's it going? I said, we've been slower. I said, why? I said, people are choosing food and paying their bills over getting their hair cut as yeah. frequently and consistently. Yeah. Just exact wait, words. Just wait an extra, if everybody's just waiting an extra two or three weeks and that's, uh, that can add up. There's, there it is. It's vulnerable out there. And, and, and even deep-pocketed Super affluent Charlottesville is not immune to it. No, of course not. Election day is six days from now. I think anyone that follows politics locally, even if you don't follow politics locally, You've been made well aware of the Allison Spillman Meg Bryce race. No doubt. This is a brouhaha of epic proportions. Mm -hmm. Amy Lawfer and Steve Harvey. Amy Lawfer is an overwhelming favorite to beat Steve Harvey. Cree Deeds, Philip Hamilton. Cree Deeds is an overwhelming favorite to beat Philip Hamilton in the state Senate. Lawfer and Harvey running for delegate. Mm. Katrina Coulson's running unopposed for delegate. The three spots on Charlottesville City Council, they've already been decided. They got decided in the Democratic primary. Nothing's going to impact them. The open spots on the Charlottesville School Board, there's four of them. All of them are running unopposed. The, two, the three races people care about, there's three races people care about. Ann Malik versus Brad Rickle and the Whitehall District of Almora County. T.J. Fadeley versus B. Lepisto Kirtley in the Rivanna District for the Board of Supervisors in Almar County. And Bryce versus Spillman. And Bryce versus Spillman right now is like the Los Angeles Lakers against the Boston Celtics. It's like UVA against Virginia Tech 
It's like the Dallas Cowboys against the Washington Commanders. It's like the New York Yankees against the Boston Red Sox. Bryce versus Spillman has seen so much nuance and so many dynamics and layers to the onion. A former campaign manager or campaign strategist launching a fake website about an opponent. Mm -hmm. A hedge fund owner's wife contributing 70000 directly and $85,000 indirectly to one person's campaign. The collective, the total money raised for this race, it's either number one or number two. I need to get the Robert Tracy versus Jim Hingley grand total. But right now, as of the last filing deadline, $315,863 collectively raised amongst the two candidates. It's insane for a school board race. Insane. I, I mean, I'm reading, reading, through, uh, reading through Reddit on, on this, I was surprised. Uh, two, two very, very, uh, <clears throat> very different sides. And there are some people that make some great points on both sides. But the amount of vitriol uh, coming, out of, coming out of the whole thing is... Uh, I mean, I guess that's what you get when you've got two, uh, two sides this polarized. I commend both ladies for fundraising expertise. They are phenomenal fundraisers. But as John Blair highlighted yesterday on LinkedIn, anyone who's considering a run for school board is seeing this race and the fact that you're going to have to raise $150,000 or more to win a campaign for school board. That is going to keep average Sally's and average Joe's from entering into the fray. Although if we ever see a race like this again, I'll be surprised. I, why do you say that? You don't think that this could set a precedent and be a springboard to future races? Could be, but why do you say? Why do you immediately assume that this is going to be the pinnacle? Part of it is, I mean, look at the look at the current board. We, how how many? If this race is tight, I'll make this thinking, point. You're thinking it could it could embolden more uh, more right leaning people to run for for the uh, school board. I, I I don't even want to use the word right leaning people. I think it could embolden more centered leaning people, more uh, folks that are committed to keeping politics out of schools. I could see that. I think it could embolden folks to run. Because, and I'm going to put it in perspective here. I'm going to put it in perspective here. What are some of the strategies that Spillman is using against Meg Bryce? What are some of the tactics that Spillman is using and negative campaigning against Meg Bryce? You know these answers. I mean, she's basically painting a picture of Meg Bryce that she's presenting to the... Keep it just simple. Just real simple terms. I mean, that is simple. She's painting a picture of Meg Bryce uh, that she's selling to the... Simple terms. Here they are. To the voters. She's using her dad as a Supreme Court justice. She's using her last name. She's using the fact that her kids are in private schools. Yeah. She's using phrase like, like book banning. She's, she's utilizing the, the uh, seminars that she had with the Noah Webster. With Noah Webster. That's what she's yeah. using, right? Yeah. She's trying to paint her as a uh, Republican, right? Simple terms. 
I'll ask you this question. And you, you and I both, you and I both, I don't want to speak for you, you know I think the world of uh, uh, Bryce and that she would make a fantastic candidate, a fantastic school board member. I truly believe that. I think she'd work her tail off. And I think having a different opinion on the board would be valuable for ACPS because ACPS of late is underperformed. Yeah. But I can make a legitimate argument that if Bryce did not have the Scalia made a name, Mm-hmm. she may have been more electable in Almaro County. No doubt. And I would imagine that other people can make that same leap. Well, okay. my last name is not this, yeah. so maybe I could win if she got this close or if she won. I can do it too. That's fair. The number one thing Spielman is using against Bryce is her last name, and it's bogus, it's garbage, it is a childish strategy, but it is a strategy. And it's whether, and I'm being very straightforward and honest, it is a strategy that polarizes. And polarizing is a tactic in politics. Yeah, but that polarization may actually end up garnering Meg Bryce more, with uh, some, more attention. With some, not all though. Well, there were some people that would never vote for a right-leaning candidate no matter what they said or did or how they looked or whatever. This is basically this what's is going to determine Virginia. this election. Okay? This is what, what I think is going to determine the election. What's going to determine this race is how are the private school parents going to vote? How will private school parents vote in this race that live in Almaro County? Number one. Number two, that I think is going to determine this election. Are parents, I shouldn't even use the word parents, are eligible voters willing, eligible voters that lean liberal, eligible voters lean liberal, are they willing to put their party politics aside and position their dislike or disenchantment with schools and their current condition at their voter booth. Yeah. If someone that leans left is so disenchanted or disappointed with the public schools right now, mm-hmm. will that supersede their left-leaning ideology? Yeah. Those two things. How will private school parents vote? There's a lot of them out there. And will left-leaning individuals put aside their left-leaning ideology for change in schools because they're disenchanted with their current performance? Yeah, and I think that second one is iffy because they, it could be argued that they feel that uh, despite the fact that, um, that Spillman aligns with... Uh, the rest of the the board, uh, they may are. What do you mean? She does, hundred yeah, percent. But they may argue that uh, that she ha- she could come in with ideas to help change things. After all, I believe she ran a uh, what was it a, a PTA, a PTO, PTO, parent teacher organization yeah, yeah. that had over three hundred thousand in funding. Yeah, I mean that says something about. Uh, about her qualifications 
if nothing else. I, dude. Spillman has, I think both these, both these candidates have upside and electable qualities. They crushed it with fundraising. I'd like to see someone drop out of the drop off the school board and let the two of them <laughs> both on so that they can continue to fight and we could have fun uh, watching them for the next however many years. <laughs> it would be great fodder for the talk show. <laughs> Undoubtedly. Six days away the election. Six days away an election locally that I am as, as invested in as I've ever been and I'm a political junkie. All right, last topic on the show, and then we're out of here. Virginia is a two-point favorite this Saturday against Georgia Tech. The last time UVA was a favorite was against William and Mary. And they didn't even really have a line. They don't issue lines for, like, the William and Mary JMU games. So the Vegas odds makers see the turn that we're seeing with Tony Elliott's team. It's a, it's a different team than it was against when it started 0-5. And, and I talked about this yesterday. The man's lost four games by three points or less. If the cookie had crumbled a different way, this team legitimately could have gone... Got a real estate broker giving me a call here. Literally. I will give you a call back once the show is over. No problem at all. Oh, I know you're watching. I see who is watching. Okay. Um, if the cookie had crumbled a different way, he could have been on the short list for coach of the year. And I would not be surprised if this team wins three of its next four games. And if it wins all four, it becomes bowl eligible at six and six. And if Tony Elliott gets this team to 6-6, six and six, he's on the short list for Coach of the Year in the conference. Deep Throat says, Bauer Bird is in one of the densest neighborhoods in the city, and it still did not work. I want to give the owner, Earl, the benefit of the doubt that he closed because his priorities have changed and he wants to spend time with the kids. Right. I understand what Deep Throat is saying, though. Mm-hmm. To Deep Throat's point, if it was crushing it, why didn't he try to sell it? Yeah. Um, Kevin Yancey, I appreciate your comments. Holly Foster is going to a Taylor Swift concert. Holly, you are living your best life, my friend. I love when the Queen of Henrico watches the show. Um, Jason Howard on Rio Road, thank you for watching. Multiple media outlets watching the show. <clears throat> I thought we did a good job. I thought Judah did a good job, and I want to do a lot of some of this role reversal and, and, and future shows. It's the I Love Seville show. Just have open discussion about things that matter to this community. That's the whole goal of the show. Thank you for joining us on a uh, gorgeous day. Albert Graves says, it's not surprising that they're using childish tactics. One candidate can't be adult enough to condone her followers for spray painting her opponent's signs and speaks volumes to her character and her value values that she's prioritizing winning a race more than concern for the county. Hmm. 
We'll see you tomorrow at 12.30. And remember, new show launches tomorrow at 2.15 p.m. right here on the I Love Seville Network with a big-time guest at 2.15. That's called a tease in the business. Take care, everyone.